We'd like to thank our friends at Sleep Number for sponsoring the Thrive Global Podcast. Sleep Number is changing the way we sleep with their latest beds, the Sleep Number 360 Smart Beds. They automatically adjust on each side to keep you sleeping comfortably all night. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. Hello and welcome to the Thrive Global Podcast on iHeartRadio. My guest today is one of TV journalism's brightest stars in every way. She's the co-host of the Today Show and a correspondent on Dateline. Millions of people tune in to her every morning because they want to be informed about the world and also because they want to connect and engage with her world. Kathy Lee Gifford has, is her co-host on Kathy Lee and Hoda and describes her as the most contagious person on the planet who will make you happy whether you want to be or not. <laughs> and I have to admit something. Um, because of dreadful traffic coming here from Soho, I was late today. And she was so gracious and made me immediately feel that I could exhale and stop feeling guilty, you know, the things we feel, and self-judgmental, yes. and have that voice going on in my head. So, Hoda, <laughs> welcome to the Thrive Global I'm, Podcast, and I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm thrilled. You're like one of my favorite people. It's nice to see you. Thank you. And I have to say, I'm completely addicted to your Instagram. You are? Because it is a joy trigger for me. You have the kind of Instagram account that I totally love, which is inspiring. Yeah. Um, it's like things you want to share with people you love and you want them to have a good day by reading um, a quote that is uplifting or showing a picture of you or your adorable little baby mm. in a way that helps us connect with you. So thank you for that. Thank you. So let's go back to uh -huh. some of the beginnings. Ooh. You were born in Oklahoma. Yes. And exactly. your parents were immigrants from Egypt. Yes. There are lots yes. of Greeks in Egypt. I know. And the Greeks and the Egyptians are always fighting over who did it first. Yeah. <laughs> like we claim baklava. I mean, I know you think it's your thing, but, and hummus. I mean, I'm not sure who gets what. Oh, but you yes. can take hummus if we can have baklava. <laughs> what about grape leaves? Who let's, gets grape leaves? Oh, grape leaves. Mm. Let's debate that. Okay. Okay, so what brought your parents from Egypt to Oklahoma? Um, my dad was um, working on his doctorate degree in petroleum engineering, and my mom was a lawyer in Egypt. And I think they realized that you could have the most education in the world but still sit at a desk with no phone and no this and no that. It didn't have the opportunities they have here. So... The United States was the shiny penny. It was the place everyone wanted to go. And it was without question. Like, if you could, you went. And my parents went to Oklahoma, which seems very weird. I was like, <laughs> why on earth? They got married. They're like, we're going to Oklahoma. I'm like, okay. I guess a bunch of other people from Egypt said, Oklahoma's beautiful. You should try it. So they went. They went to OU, finished up their education. And they were – so they really kind of instilled in us – like, this is a place that you cannot believe, that if you work hard, you can literally be a business person, do this, do that. And it was something that, you know, there you didn't have all those choices. So they presented the world to us as magical and gee whiz and oh, wow. So that's and, how And it. what was it like being um, from Egypt in Oklahoma was that hard? Was, was it a it, hard adjustment? Well, we were so little there. My parents moved to 
West Virginia, and this was an interesting thing we learned later in my dad's life. We were living in West Virginia for a while, and we sort of, people knew us then. They knew that we were the weird kids with the by a vowel last name, like K-O-T-B, what is that? But people started knowing us, so we weren't so strange. Like, I would kind of be embarrassed, if I were being totally honest, whenever I'd bring a friend home, my parents were talking to them, and my friend would look at me like, what are they saying? I was like, <laughs> my dad would be like, so do you enjoy being a lifeguard, or do you think it's fun, or you like the way And they would be like, and I look at them like, do you like being a lifeguard? Like, what is wrong with you? I didn't understand why they didn't get it. Hearing. So I did sort of feel like you weren't, you didn't all the way fit in places. But my parents were really big on, that generation was big on assimilation. Yes. Like, my parents didn't really speak Arabic in the house. Mm. You heard it when they were arguing secretly or something. But you didn't, they were of the, okay, red, white, and blue, Nike's on, we came here. Like, that was that kind of generation that wanted to immerse. Like, we didn't come here. the identity. Right, we didn't come here to do that. But one thing that stuck out to us when we were kids, Ariana, and my brother found out about it later, was my dad had, he passed away when, when I was in college, but he had this old desk and one day we moved from West Virginia to Virginia, and we didn't really – we moved. My, we knew my dad had gotten a job or, or whatever. And my brother found an old letter in my dad's desk. My dad was a professor at WVU, and the letter said from my dad, Dear Dean so-and-so, my name is Dr. Cotby. I have a Ph.D., and a lot of kids request my class. I would like to be moved up to the pay scale of the yes. other professors. And the letter back said something like, Dear Dr. Cotby, you're, you're making all you'll ever make at WVU. No. So we ah. moved. Now, here's the interesting thing. We didn't know that as kids. He never told us that. My parents didn't say, you know what? You have to be better and stronger and this. They didn't saddle us mm. with that burden of, you know, you have to be – because people are out there aren't going to hire you or aren't going to want you. We didn't know. So he hid that from us. So when I was going through life and getting rejected, I didn't think to myself as I wasn't getting jobs, like, oh, it must be because of that. I never, it never dawned on me. It, I didn't think that. So I thought, what a gift he gave us because he could have thought, let me toughen them up. Yes. I'm going to show them that unless they work harder, they're going to end up, you know, not getting the benefits that others get. So we had no clue in fact, it's interesting you mentioned the rejections because yeah. so often once somebody succeeds, people forget that there were failures and yeah. rejections along the way. So tell us about the rejections and the number of rejections. <laughs> I know. Wow. What a Well, I, I was so naive out of college. I was sort of like, oh, my gosh, I had one job interview out of college at a small television station in Virginia, and I was convinced I was going to get the job. I just don't, I mean, it was an hour drive from my house. It was Richmond, Virginia. It was a nothing. So I said to my mom, I'm going to go get that job. I have my resume tape, and my mom was, you know, you can do it. You are the smartest (laughs) and the best. You know, she always said, so I drove to Richmond. I was like, I'm getting this job. I roll into the news station. I remember I looked around, and I was like, I'm going to sit in that seat. I'm going to date that guy, and I'm going to have a lot. So the news director took my tape. He played it. He watched it. He popped it out, and he said, oh, I'm so sorry. You're not ready for Richmond. I said, oh, what's wrong? He said, you're not very good. You're green, but good luck. And 
I was walking out, and he goes, oh, wait, before you go, I have a buddy of mine who's hiring in Roanoke. Three hours south of here, I bet he'll hire you. Do you want me to call him and tell him you're coming? I said, yes, please. I called my mom. She was like, how was it? Do you like Richmond? I go, mom, I don't want Richmond. I'm going to Roanoke. And so (laughs) I drove to Roanoke. I get there. Ariana, I look around. I said, you know what? I'll sit there. I'll date that guy. You know, and (laughs) he puts the tape in. He plays it. He stops it. He says, Hoda, I'm sorry, you are not ready for Roanoke. And I was like, like, who in the hell is not ready for Roanoke? <laughs> like, we're in Roanoke, for God's sake. And they said, not. And as I was leaving, he said, I have someone who will hire you. I took that. I just kept going. I kept going to stations and getting rejected and driving and driving and getting rejected. And I remember I had been on the road. I had one of those little credit cards for 10, we counted it, 10 days and 27 news directors, three in Alabama and Birmingham, ABC, NBC, CBS, no, no, no. I drove to Dothan, Alabama, which is a nothing little tiny town. That news director would not hire me. And finally, I was done. I called my mom. You know, she needed the car back. I was like, Mom, I I blew it. Like, I can't get hired. I mean, I don't have the right tape. I'm not the right person. I don't have the I don't know what it is. So she's like, come home, we'll re, you know, we'll figure it out. I, I remember I was driving aimlessly going home, and I was in the south. I was in the bottom part of Florida, I mean, in the panhandle. And I just started kind of driving up, and I was going to drive home. And I got lost. And I remember I was playing sad music, and I was like, in, I, I was in Mississippi. I'd be, and I, there was a, a physical sign that said, Greenville, our eye is on you, CBS. I said, you know what? I'm going to go to a Greenville station in Mississippi and get rejected, and then I'm getting a map, and I'm going home. (laughs) My life changed on that day. I walked in, and this guy, he was so short, and he goes, how you doing? I'm Stan Sandroni. I'm the news director here at WXVT News Center 15, and I was sports director yesterday, and they promoted me. I'm the news director. I go, okay, well, great. He goes, what's your name? I go, I'm Hoda. Come on in, Hilda. Let me see that tape. Let me see what you got. He put that horrible tape in. He watched 30 minutes of probably the worst tape in history, I'm assuming, based on everybody's (laughs) rejection. He stopped that tape and he looked at me and he goes, Hilda? And I said, (laughs) yes. He goes, I like what I see. I was like, you do? I was (laughs) sobbing because I couldn't believe it. And But it hit me on that day. It was like, you know what? You don't need everyone to love you. You just Mm. need one. Like you need a guy like Stan. And they said to us, you know, bring someone to Studio 1A here in New York who's changed the course of your life. And I brought Stan. Uh. He walked into that studio and he was like, oh, my God, look at it. I knew it from the beginning. She was going to make it. Al Roker is skinny. Wow. You know, he was like <laughs> walking around. And I remember that this guy and I thought to myself, if you find your one, the one person who can help you, you can make it. I think it's sometimes you quit before the one because 27 people can't all be wrong, right? Everyone who said no, but he was desperate and so was I. Yeah. Such an amazing message. And, yeah. you know, my my rejection of my second yeah. book was 36. What? You mm-hmm. had how many? 36. 30... Wait a minute. My second book. So, again, you begin to doubt. But at 35, were you like... At 35, I had run out of money. But, again, the way you 
saw the Greenfield uh-huh. sign and something made you it's go there. It's like a sign there. from God. You feel like this is a sign. Yes. Right. I saw a Barclays Bank on St. James's Street. I was living in London. And something made me go in and ask for a loan because otherwise I couldn't keep going. I would have had to take any kind of job to just support myself. And the bank manager gave me a loan. I had no assets, nothing. It was like my stand. His name is Ian Bell. I keep sending him a holiday card every year. <laughs> You're, why, what made him do it? He just saw Probably something? He doesn't know. He doesn't it's like, know. you know, some... I, I, I mean, if you believe in destiny... Yeah, yeah. You know, you also feel that sometimes it's just meant to be. It's yeah. like part of your blueprint. Yeah, and this yeah, is yeah, the moment. Yeah. And you persevered and you didn't give up and something happened. I can't. I didn't know it was thirty six. I'm so shocked. I just thought. Once so you, when I saw yours was twenty seven, you were I like, said, hey, "I can one up her." Mine was thirty six. But you're right. I think people do think, "Poof, you just arrived." Yes, you became you just because you lived a charmed life. So I love it when people who are seen as successful, you know, talk about their failures because everybody else was starting knows that yes. there's absolutely nobody who hasn't failed along right. the way. And actually, they're so uninteresting. You know those people who really do seem to have it easy? And some people just seem like, and then I showed up and the guy said, you can anchor, and I did. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, I can't believe that happened to you. But there is something that you that success usually is kind of short-lived. Well, also that... Um, that it doesn't just happen most yeah. of the time. I mean, overnight success takes a while. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when most of the world discovered you in a deeper way and mm-hmm. connected with you and your heart and who you are was when you talked about your cancer diagnosis, mm-hmm. yeah. which is now over a decade. And it happened, you found out while you're also going through a divorce. Yeah. So what made you actually go public with it? Because now people are much more open about it. Yeah. But 10 years ago, it tended to be something that people would not talk about. I didn't. I actually didn't want to. In fact, when I had the surgery and did everything, I had a mastectomy and I told my boss at work and my family knew and a couple of friends and the rest thought I was just taking some time. And I remembered thinking... I want it over with and I'm never discussing it because I actually didn't want to be the person who got looked at with sad eyes. I couldn't even stand it with my friends. I felt like a different person and I didn't like it. And so I had already decided I wasn't going to say anything about it. And Matt Lauer called me and he was doing a where in the world is Matt Lauer and it was in Ireland and I was still healing and he said, hey, do you want to go on this trip? Do you feel like it's something you'd want to do? Because if you're healed enough, I would love for you to, to do that. And it was such a privilege to do those shoots. I'd never done one. So I decided I wasn't all the way ready, but my doctor said, you're really on the fence. You're not healed up all the way, but if you really want to go, I'm not going to stop you. So I went to Ireland, felt horrible, knew it was a mistake, I, I had shot for a day. I got back on the plane to go home, and I felt hard. I just wanted to curl up. I was crying. I felt not myself. I knew it was a mistake, and then I thought, I never, I'll never be, like, really whole again. And I was about to fall asleep on the plane, and I'll, I won't forget this. And a guy next to me goes, I had my, almost about to put my earphones in. I was, like, an inch from my earbuds going in. And he goes, how you doing? And I go, good. He goes, 
I recognize you. One of those shows. Which one is it? it you know, Good Morning America, the Today Show. I go, oh, yeah, I work on the Today Show. Oh, yeah. Are they nice over there? I go, yeah, they're nice. How about Al Roker? Is he funny? I go, Al's funny. Like, you know, when you can't <laughs> deal. But there was something about the guy that who, it was sort of captivating and interesting. And I started talking to him. And he said, what is that on your arm? And I said, oh, it's a compression sleeve. He said, well, what's it for? And I said, oh, I had a procedure, you know, and medical procedure, and the doctor said I should wear it if I fly. And he goes, oh, well, what was the procedure? And I go, oh, it was just an operation, you know. Anyway, and he goes, what was the operation? And I said, I can't believe I'm about to tell you this because I don't even know you. And I said, but I have breast cancer. And I said, and I hope when you get off the plane, you don't say, oh, I sat next to a girl with breast cancer. I hope there are other things you think of first. And he goes, what is wrong with you? I go, what? What are you talking about? He goes, what is wrong with you? He said, breast cancer is part of you. It's like getting married or going to college or working at NBC. He said, I'm going to give you some advice and you can go to sleep. I said, okay. And he goes, are you ready? I said, I'm ready. And this is what I never forgot. He said, don't hog your journey. It's not just for you. Mm. And he said, think of how many people you could have helped on the plane ride home. He said, you can put your stuff deep in your pockets and take it to your grave, or you can help somebody. Choice A or choice B. And I was like boo-hooing and having like this moment with this stranger. And all of a sudden I thought, maybe he's right. And the and that guy, his name's Ken Dwayne, and I found him later because when you find someone, a stranger, who changes the course mm. of who you are, really – Anyway, I'm wild this year later. It's like weird, but he, he, so that's why, because of him, that's why I even talked about it at all. And I couldn't believe how uh, freeing it was. It's like talking about a secret and then the secret isn't so scary anymore. And that was it. I felt like a free person and he, it was because of him, you know, and he does, he did teach me that. Cancer can be, or anything, whatever ails you, it can be part of you, but not mm-hmm. all of you. Yes. It can shape you, but and not also define the, the, you. Don't hog your journey. That's amazing. Oh, my God. I'll and never forget him. Yeah. I, I, I feel so strongly about that. You know, I mean, whatever it is that you're going through, if you can share it, yeah. A, it's just amazing how it helps you, but also how it's helped so many people. Yes. I mean, I know when I when I collapsed and broke my yes. cheekbone from burnout. yes. You know, and you look disfigured, and part of your first instinct is to hide, hide. until you are whole again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then... What made you not? Like... I think that it was... I just realized that how I had collapsed because I had bought into a collective delusion that that's how I was going to be successful. I that I had to be always on. I didn't really have time to take care of myself. Yes. And I could see around that this was not just me, that this was an epidemic. Yes. So it's just then wanting to help. But and also I now find that you can help people the other way. Oh. Like when Jeff Bezos told me once at a dinner, you know, I, I sleep for eight hours every night. That's essential for me to run Amazon well. And if I don't, my decisions are 5 to 20% less good. He had analyzed it all oh, in wow. a Jeff Bezos way. Yeah. And I said to him... That That's would be amazing. Brilliant. I said, I, I'd love you to write about that on Thrive. And he said to me, oh, no, you know, I'm a very private man. I don't talk about it. Nobody knows. I said, it's not about you. Yeah. 
Think of how many people would be. It took me three months to convince him, but then he wrote about it. It went crazy viral. Oh, my God. So I think you can help people also when you're introducing good habits in your life. Right. And it doesn't take and away people, from you. And it doesn't take right. away from you. And you go away from the, I'm the macho guy who doesn't sleep, or I'm the girl yes. who can be always on. And now I recently had the chance to sit down with Pete Bills, the vice president of sleep science and research for Sleep Number. We spoke about the connection between sleep and relationships. What should couples that have different sleep schedules need to do if they are going to be able to be together, sleep in the same bed, and get a good night's sleep? And especially if one of them snores, what do you recommend? (laughs) Let's start with that one. Uh, uh, Nearly one in four, about 23% of U.S. couples sleep apart regularly because of incompatibilities like that. Snoring, uh, they prefer different temperatures, prefer different bed firmnesses or pillows, or they steal the blankets, you name it, the problem's there. The, the key for couples is to identify those and then try to figure out a way to uh, address those. For instance, if someone likes to read in bed or watch TV, the other one doesn't, then sleep timers on the TV, dimmer lights, uh, a reader instead of uh, a book with a bright light. Fascinating stuff, right? Stick around until the end of this episode to hear my full interview with Pete. He always has the scoop on the latest sleep science. This sleep tip was brought to you by Sleep Number, the bed that knows you, senses you, and adjusts to you. Only at sleepnumber.com slash thrive. So let's share something that you do that people might not expect that helps you be able to do all the things you're doing, like whether it has to do with sleep, with recharging, with taking care of yourself, anything. Um, I try to, um, I do lights out at, and because of course I have this little baby, so, but as a collective lights out in the house, it's lights out at eight. Amazing. 8 p.m. So, and is it the same time that your little girl goes to sleep? Yes. She goes to bed a little earlier, so I get a little time with Joel. Poor Joel. (laughs) He's like, going to dinner at five again? Okay. (laughs) Anyway, so yeah, but I try to get as many hours as I can in there. But I think the thing that that nourishes me in the morning is I I do take like a 10-minute situation and I try to fill it with all kinds of stuff. Like in the morning, I'll scribble in my journal a little bit and the way I try to find the quote is I'll in my journal I'll scribble like three things I'm grateful for and something cool that happened the day before and in that in those three things the three things I'm grateful for or that yes. or the the wonderful thing that happened the day before um comes the quote from somewhere like I'll look around for quotes that match something so if the quote's a little bit of a downer my sister will call me and go what happened <laughs> I go because she was. I know something you scribbled was that, and I said, "Oh, actually, I was just talking to a friend who was going through some so and so, and we were trying to discuss it, so it came from there." But I think resetting the day in the morning, just doing a real kind of peaceful reset um, every morning, every every single morning. Yeah, yes. I don't miss. Yeah, and that really sort of helps you start the day. Yeah, what's your morning right drill? Way. What's your morning? For me. Um, it's first of all not running to my phone. Yes. You know how we used to yes. like literally yes. grab our phone yes. while we were half asleep. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you don't know what's there. Yes. It can be a message that upsets you, irritates yes. you. So um, even before you 
you are fully awake, the cortisol is rushing through your body. Yes. Yes. And you start in that stressful way right. and you never quite get over it. So for me, it's the first thing is what I don't do. Okay, so you don't touch that. I don't touch that. Okay. And I try, even if I have just five minutes to meditate. You do that. I do that. Ideally, I like to do 20, 30, but wow. whatever. Just some kind of gap okay. between you and know, that twilight And what happens in that zone. meditation? What goes on in there? I think the most important thing that happens to me in my meditation is not totally identifying with my job. Oh. You know, it's like there's more to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's more to yeah. you. It's like, you know, yes. when Oprah does the Super Soul Sunday. I love that. She asks everybody the same yeah. thing. You know, what do you know for sure? Uh, yeah, what do you know for sure? Right, right, right. And what? I said, well, what I know for sure is that who you are, Oprah, and who I am, and however magnificent who you are may be, who you are inside yourself is more magnificent. Yeah. Oh, so there's good. something in us that's bigger than any job, any success. That's good. And that's always good to keep in mind. Yeah. So that's, I like to remember that every morning. By the way, I took your advice at night. You told me one, at one point every night you should decompress and do it the same way with a shower or a bath. Put your phone away. Put something good in your brain that isn't... Twitter or gross TV, you know, something that's nourishing. And it's been so interesting because the first night I did it, Joel was like, why are you taking a shower? I go, I don't know, Ariana told me to. <laughs> so I did. And he, and I, But you feel like all of a sudden the day's washing away. Yes, yes. It's very peaceful. And the phone, I've already done my last looks for if there's any work thing, anything that happens between now and the morning – it's a no, it's no big deal. I you know I can't do anything about it anyway. And then I try to read a little something that is fulfilling. And I got to tell you, it helps. It changes how you wake up. You don't wake up thinking like, oh god, what was in? You know, you don't reach for it and scroll and find the horribleness in the world. And it's amazing because it doesn't take too long. No, but it just completely resets you. Yes, and you can recharge and wake yes. up ready to deal with yes. anything. Yes. I love that. Then I have to send you the little phone bed, too, the little oh, charging yes. station. Yes. So we, you can put your phone away from your bed. Away from your bed. And then there's a little blankie so you can tack it in. You can You're say good night. You are the Because cutest. we all learn through rituals. Yes. And I love that little ritual for me. It's kind of the end of my day. So one of the things that comes through. Um, in everything you say and and do on social is your incredible joy mm. um, about your little girl. Mm. Uh, it started with the bad news that you could not conceive. Yeah. So tell yeah. us a little bit about that journey. Yeah, I I knew um, after cancer and after all of that, they basically said, you know, you could freeze your eggs, you could do this, you could do that, but it's unlikely that anything would work. And I remembered almost blocking how devastating that was. And at the time, I was going through a separation that would lead to a divorce, and it was like horrible things were happening at the same time. And I kept thinking, this is an avalanche of pain. Like, how do people, how does anyone deal with this? So I sort of made, um, I talked to myself and I said, you have so many blessings in your life. Here's something you don't get. You don't get children. It's not the end of the world. You have great nieces. 
I always wanted to teach little kids. So I said, I'm going to be, as soon as I'm done with this job at the Today Show, I'm going to teach like first and second graders. I said, I'm going to fill it. I wanted to start a summer camp for kids. Like I have had a million like kid related dreams. So I said, I will be able to fulfill that. I just can't have my own. And I met Joel and there was like a voice inside me that I couldn't quiet. Like it just kept coming up. I tried to push it away. It kept coming. And I said, I'm about to have a conversation with this man who has a grown daughter in law school. I'm about to bring up something that I cannot swallow anymore. So I sat with him and I said, I need to discuss something with you. And I said, please don't answer me right now. I said, take a week and just marinate it. I said, this is important and it's gonna, it means a lot to me, but I would appreciate if you wouldn't answer right now. And I said, you know, for a long time I've had these feelings and I've wanted to have children, but I pushed them away. And I said, and I just can't push them away anymore. I said, so I'm going to ask you. I said, I would like to explore adoption with you. And he paused for a second. He said, I don't need a week. Like right there. Right there. I like wept on his chest and probably, I first of all, I couldn't believe he did that because I thought in in asking that question, what I was doing in a way was almost putting the relationship on the line a little because if the thing that meant the most to me in the world, he would have said, no, actually that doesn't work for me, but I do love you. That would have been hard for me if he knew it was the only thing I ever wanted really. But he is exactly who he is, who I thought he was and who he turned out to be. And the paperwork was filed, and I'm sitting in my office one random day doing a FaceTime with, like, Joy Bauer for some nutrition thing. I don't even know what I was doing. I was sitting in there, and I'll never forget it. On my phone, the the woman from the adoption agency's name was Ashley. So, And I called it the project so I wouldn't slip and yes. tell people about it. And it, the phone buzzed, and it said, Ashley Project, call me. And she, she said to me, if you ever see my name on your phone, you call me right away. So I looked at that, that, me- message. that message. I hung up on the FaceTime. <laughs> I looked at the clock. I took a yellow pad, and I wrote 11.54 a.m. Like, I knew that was the line of demarcation of my life. Like this. So I wrote it down. I said, this is the moment my life changes. I'm about to make a phone call. Today, you know, I'm this and tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. And I dialed the phone and she said, uh, she's here. Uh, That's it. It was like the closest thing to a live birth I'd ever. And so she said, come on. So you hop on a plane, they hand you a baby in a bag of Pampers and they're like, and that's how it starts. So anyway, it's like been, I mean, who would have thought at 52 that, somehow you get to live your best life. Who would have thought? Like usually at that point, you have most of your dreams have either been realized or they haven't. Like you don't get, and I, I still can't believe that some of the greatest blessings in my life are coming at this stage mm-hmm. in my life. I would never have imagined. But And how did you decide what to call her? Had you decided before I you hadn't. saw her? I hadn't. I knew her before I saw her. Like I wrote about her every day that after those adoption papers were filed, yes. I knew she was sleeping under the same moon and stars. I could feel it. Like I didn't know her, but I knew her. And um, 
my sister was saying, we were talking on the phone and she said, you know, we were talking about Haley's Comet. It was like one of those things. And I said, oh my God, she, my sister goes, Haley, like a shooting star that you just wish for. And I called my best friend and I said, I said, we, you know, we got a great name. We like Haley. And she goes, that child, Hoda. She said, Hoda, I didn't think you could be any happier, but boy, what a joy she'd be. And I was, she goes, joy. I go, oh my gosh, Haley joy. Boom. <laughs> and we are done. So since she stepped into my life, like, I mean, I don't even know, like, if you were to tell me, you know, they asked you at the Today Show to clean your desk out today, like right now, I was supposed to leave and clean it out. You know what I would do? I would happily clean my desk out and go home because mm-hmm. I have the thing that I had that I never thought I'd get. This is such an amazing feeling because if we can love what we are doing without yeah. feeling that it defines us yes. entirely and we wouldn't yes. exist without it, yes. everything changes. Yeah, I didn't think I could. Like, I mean, I have always ridden in a car. It's me and my job was sidecar. Yes. The guys were in the back. <laughs> everything else was in the back. They were like, hey, I'm in my part of your life. I'm like, yes, you are, but you're here. But now I kind of have a reset ah. with Joel and Haley. I love that. Yeah. And he's been an amazing he's, I I can't even believe I get him either. I mean, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night, Ariana, and I'm like, I look over, I'm like, yep, there's Joel. He's here. And oh my God, we have a baby and she's here. We get, and I remember Robin Roberts said to me, she called me after I had Haley and I said, Robin, I said, can you believe I'm 52 and I have a baby? She goes, Hoda, do you know what that baby is? And I said, what? She said, that baby is right on time. I said, mm-hmm. yeah, she is. She she is. It was it was perfect timing. And I love the title of your children's book. I've mm-hmm. loved you since forever. Yeah. Yeah. Because you feel you've always had that connection. Always. Like is that like something that um, matches any spiritual sense that you have? Were you brought up with any? We were just brought up to believe in God. Like we were all about that. And I feel like when you have a relationship, you know, with God, and I feel like I've had... Endless, countless, abundant conversations about it. And sometimes you think, can he hear me? Does he hear me? Am I just talking out into the, am I talking to myself? Is it for real? But I think once when, I mean, when Haley arrived, I was, I mean, I didn't have any doubt in that belief. But when Haley arrived, it was like personified. And literally when I watch her now, I just feel like she's proof of Everything, like everything. Yeah, she's the best. I mean, I can't wait till you meet her. Is there a phrase, a quote, or mantra that you use to set your intention for the day or just start the day on a positive note? Um, I set my day every day with some, some just like great music. That to me kind of starts my day. It kind of calms me. I like a little Jack Johnson. I like a little James Taylor, just something to kind of soothe me. And my words of the day are different every day. But I do realize when I open my eyes every single morning, I'm I'm happy because I have a baby in the other room and I have a boyfriend who's next to me. So I I feel like I wake up every morning and joy is right there. I don't know if it's words, but it's just the feeling. I can't even, like, you open your eyes and you're like, I get to, wait, I get her (laughs) and I get get him. him. Like, you know. (laughs) I love it. And what about a bedtime mantra? Something Mm. you tell yourself to 
tell your mind it's time to stop or at mm. least slow down? How, how do you decide, you know, the end of this incredibly busy day is here? I try to fill the last couple of minutes before I close my eyes with something nourishing, um, whether it's uh, a book I keep on the bedside table or something I read that's uplifting. I try to have the last few little things that slip into my brain to be something that lifts me up. It, you know, it's not really a specific thing, but I have a book next to me of like some New York Times writer who talked about how these people in their 80s are like living their best life and how they are doing it. And I was learning lessons from that or a book of poems, you know, whatever it is. And when you feel yourself getting stressed or mm -hmm. anxious, is there something you do to stop it from getting out of control? Uh, do you have a solution to stopping your stress from spiraling? Uh, if I am stressed, I try to go on a run. I mean, I always put on my running shoes. I don't care about the time, the weather, anything. And I put on a country music playlist because nothing makes me happier than running in Central Park with country music blasting. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Hoda. That was amazing. It touched my heart. Thank you. Thank you. It's my favorite time of the day right now. Thank you was the best part of the day. To everybody listening, be sure to subscribe to the Thrive Global Podcast with iHeartRadio on your favorite podcast app and stay tuned to thriveglobal.com and iHeartRadio for updates on new episodes. And in the meantime, go to thriveglobal.com for tips to start thriving today. And now I'm excited to share my recent conversation with Pete Bills the Vice President of Sleep Science and Research for Sleep Number. So if sleep has such a big impact on our mood, it makes sense that it has a big influence on how we deal with others. So how does sleep affect our relationships? And also a question I get asked a lot, what should couples that have different sleep schedules need to do if they are going to be able to be together, sleep in the same bed, and get a good night's sleep. And especially if one of them snores, what do you recommend? <laughs> Let's start with that one. Uh, you know, the Better Sleep Council and the National Sleep Foundation both have reported over the years that uh, nearly one in four, about 23% of U.S. couples sleep apart regularly because of incompatibilities like that. Snoring, uh, they prefer different temperatures, they prefer different bed firmnesses or pillows, or they steal the blankets, you name it, the problem's there. The, the key for couples is to identify those and then try to figure out a way to uh, address those. For instance, if someone likes to read in bed or watch TV, the other one doesn't, then sleep timers on the TV, dimmer lights, uh, a reader instead of uh, a book with a bright light. Uh, so Compromise is always great for, for couples. Snoring, uh, that's a tougher one, but uh, earplugs are good. Um, if you can get an adjustable foundation, for instance, with your bed and raise your head slightly, that will help with snoring. And a couple of lifestyle changes, lose a little bit of weight, a little bit less alcohol at night um, will help with the, the snoring advice. But um, th there are ways to get around those types of things. But you're right. Um, uh, sleep is a an important part of a relationship and sleeping together is important. While that arrangement of sleeping apart may work for some, most relationship experts say it could lead to, to bigger problems. So you, you really want to solve that. But overall, when you're sleeping well, you're a better partner in, in so many different ways. 
you're more attentive, you're more interesting. Research has shown that when you're tired to your partner, you look less attractive and less healthy. And you want to maintain a vibrant relationship and and sleep plays a critical role in that. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, frankly, I feel that if you are really disturbed by your partner snoring and you wake up miserable and irritable, that can't possibly be good for the relationship. You might be better off sleeping in a separate room and reconnecting, fully recharged and uh, with your love for each other reignited. So um, as you said, Pete, I don't think there is one way to do it. Just remembering that when you wake up recharged, everything, including your relationships, are better. There's no question about that. Um, and you're right. Uh, it needs it needs to be looked at individually. You, you need to compromise as a couple always. Uh, I've been married 24 years and have managed uh, very well to still appeal to my wife, and she still appeals to me. And it's because of you know great sleep and uh, all of the all of the benefits that that brings. Thank you so much, Pete. Thank you. And also thank you to our sponsor, Sleep Number. If you are not sleeping well, it could be your mattress. The Sleep Number bed knows, senses, and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably. This is not a bed, it's proven quality sleep. Discover the difference at sleepnumber.com slash thrive.